Welcome to Vinyasa in Verse, the podcast where we connect mind, body, and spirit through poetry and practice. I'm Leslie Ann Hobayan. Together, we'll explore different ways of connecting with our innermost selves and how to tap into the flow of the universe. Because once that happens, anything is possible. Your best life starts now. Hello, loves. Welcome hey. to a new episode of Vinyasa in Verse. How are you on this beautiful day? Um, I wanted to let you know that I have a fabulous guest coming to join me on the show. One of my mentors uh, from Sarah Lawrence College is a beautiful poet and a beautiful spirit, Suzanne Garnier. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad that you agreed to um and spirituality, um, which feels really, really crucial at this time. Um, so, but before we get into that conversation, I'd like to open the, the episode with a poem by Hafez. And it's sort of, for me, like Wheel of Fortune or, you know, roulette, where I just go, and let's see what poem comes forth. All right. So today's poem by Hafez is called Elephant Wondering. A seed has sprouted beneath a golden leaf in a dark forest. This seed is seriously contemplating, seriously wondering about the moseying habits of the elephant. Why? Because in this lucid, wine-drenched tale, the elephant is really God who has his big foot upon us, upon the golden leaf under which lies this sprouting universe wherein we are all a little concerned and nervous. <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's perfect. I just, I just love like, and I, and I said this in a previous episode that I wonder how much of it is Daniel Ladinsky's translation right? Um, with the playfulness of all these things, because it's like, we get all serious. And then all of a sudden it's like, Nope. <laughs> so any thoughts coming forth? After hearing that, um, I mean, I'm thinking so much lately about the people of Iran, um, mm -hmm. which, of course, Hafiz was one of um, a long time ago. And um, someone told me once, someone from Iran told me once that people on a regular basis have the complete works of Hafiz, the whole big book. I have it here somewhere. I'm not sure where it is, but that big fat book of everything he ever wrote. And when people are trying to decide, like, should I go to the doctor? Should I make this decision? They do exactly what you just did, which is look through to see, like, okay, this. And then whatever the Hafiz poem says, that's what they do. Oh, my God, that's so great. I'm glad that I'm not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. But what I notice in that poem is just this idea of us as the seeds. And I feel like right now, even though it doesn't feel like it, Perhaps we are the seeds trying to kind of grow from the the heaviness of this virus, of this pandemic. Yes. I mean, so true. I think I know so many different people who are not usually talking to each other, talking about that, um, because it's coming apart how it's been. So we're going to have to rebuild it. And ideally, we rebuild it different than it was before. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's interesting because I'm seeing, I mean, I, I also have that same hope, but what I've been seeing online, you know, I kind of glance at social media every now and then just to kind of see what's happening. And um, 
I saw there was a local um, fast food chain, very similar to Taco Bell. I can't remember the name of it, but what they're doing is what they've been doing has been um, bringing or delivering meals to the people working at the hospitals. And they were doing it, you know, out of out of goodwill and charity. But now it's become financially not sustainable. So what they've done is they've reached out to their local communities asking, would you sponsor a meal for the nurses and the doctors and everyone there? And and what I'm seeing now is this new economic system kind of to speak, you know, like if you've got the if you've got the means, could you donate the money that will help the people directly to do this? Or, you know, and there's the mask making and the shields making and everyone is um, is pitching in in this way that is not the economy that we're used to. So that gives me hope. Yeah, it's true. Um, my son is a doctor in a hospital in New York um, mm-hmm. in his first year of residency. So mm-hmm. we're thinking about him a lot lately, obviously. Um, and of course, the the worst is yet to come, unfortunately, you know, so they're just kind of warming up. But he was describing just the incredible atmosphere of love among his colleagues and that people are being so careful with each other at the mm-hmm. same time as facing this stuff. And that he said he was going into the hospital and maybe it was some of the people you're talking about People had free sandwiches and and drinks there, so he was grabbing something and yeah. as he went in to work, because people were taking care of them. Yeah, that is so. It is so good to see that that's happening. Um, and I'm just thinking, like, what a baptism by fire for your son. Yeah, boy, he's a first year resident. He's really uh, he's getting quite a foundation. Yeah. Wow. Kudos to him, and much yeah. gratitude to all the work that he's doing. Um, so how have you been doing personally in this environment as a maker, as a creator? Um, you know, I don't know about you, but I find it, it's both hard to focus, but also I can't not create. That's beautiful. Um, I, my friends tease me sometimes that I have attention surplus disorder. Um, (laughs) so Really, nothing keeps me from working, for better or worse. That has disadvantages, which we're not going to talk about now. (laughs) um, So I've been immersed in this project, and I'm immersed in it the same way I was before. Um, So some of it's, like, I was supposed to spend a week in California um, at archives, which didn't happen because of the crisis. Mm. So so I'm Skyping with the man I was going to meet there in person instead of talking. But it's basically going along. And that's a great gift um, to have what's the same, you know, what's kind of uninterruptible that way. Um, but everything else, of course, is completely interrupted. Um, and I'm so grateful for those practices. My beloved yoga studio, Kula, here in New York, um, They've been talking sort of casually for a long time about figuring out how to do um, live streaming. But basically in 48 hours, they figured it out, um, <laughs> which is miraculous, you know. So so I've been taking class um, every day that I can, um, as well as the meditation practice I started about a year ago. Um, so between those two, I, I do that first thing. Before I call it turning on the portal, like I put my phone on airplane mode. So like all the people who need me, all the news that I need, all of that stuff happens after the practicing in the morning. Um, That's a good thing. 
Yeah, it really helps. Um, I'm finding in my own practice that that's doing that first thing in the morning really sets the foundation for being able to take on whatever might come our way. Yeah. It's so, I mean, I'm so not a meditator, really, you know, I mean, I was a, a boxer and a rugby player and was sort of hauled kicking and screaming into yoga 13 years. I don't think I knew that about you, about rugby and all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a 30 year sober alcoholic, like that, it's peace does not come easily to me. Um, So to have found and yoga I could do because it was jocks, you know, like the, the, the yogis I found were like, martini drinking dancers or like really intense physical practitioners so that's the way I could kind of find my way to it but still and I did this vipassana retreat um two Januarys ago and it was just torture and 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 really it's a it's a revisit to that every time I sit for an hour in the morning but there's something about being trained to deal with that that's so useful now that moment arrives where you're just like I can't stand this and you've been trained to say well actually you can (laughs) you know it's so helpful right now and how is that how is it helping you as far as um just dealing with it is it more of a I can handle this or I can deal with whatever is coming my way or is it more of a, a an inquiry into um you know, how can I learn from this or expand from this versus just dealing with it? It's a good question. Um, for me, it always comes back to the body. And really, those words are not adequate to describe the body, mind, soul, all the keys playing at the same time that we really are. Um, but to me, um, those practices that started with yoga and that deepened with the meditation to be able to calm my body and be in what is. I never thought I would be on this earth and able to do that at the same time. Um, I grew up with a lot of violence. I've had a lot of, I probably all my life, even with the practices, will have the, the consequences of that in my body and soul in my life. Um, And those practices to be able to say, okay, no matter what shit show unfolds around you, you know how to surf. Mm. It it doesn't mean that, um, you know, that you're not afraid or that you're not sad or all of those other things. But to be able to stay on your board at the same time. Um, And even in a funny way, just to keep that perspective of I'm tiny and this is huge. Um, It just it's so helpful to be able to be helpful to other people. I feel like that's what I'm grateful for now because I'm not afraid. You know, I mean, I'm not I mean, it's not that I'm not afraid. I'm not I'm I'm trained to turn fear into connection. Mm. So Mm. that's really helpful now. Yeah, that is so that is so good. And I love the um, the image of the surfboard, because it feels so, um, so tangible. I mean, even though we even even the people who have been practicing meditation for a while still kind of have those moments of wobbly on the surfboard. 
So it's so helpful to, to think about that um, idea of being on a surfboard that's not stable. It's constantly moving, but you're also not part of the turbulence of that wave. That you can just kind of like go with it and then you can choose to fall into it or you can hang on to your board. <laughs> right, right. Um, and I, I still, like yesterday, I was, it was just before the remote class and I was like, okay, no, I'm not doing it today. And I could just feel that sort of thing in my mind. And to be able to say like, okay, you could suffer if you want, you know, <laughs> right? that's always an option to be twisted and, you know, or not. You could do that other thing. Have you ever been swimming and been sort of chowed by a wave? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I knew you would know that. Yeah. So I think of that all the time. It was such a familiar thing from my childhood. And even I used to bring my kids out to Montauk where the surf's really big. And that would happen probably once a summer. And it's a good lesson in like, okay, try that out. See how that works for you, you know? <laughs> yeah. But then also don't get too big in the ego because the ocean's going to remind you how small you are. Right? It's so huge. And there's even when I was getting chowed by waves when I was a kid, I remember that tiny bit of like, oh, wow, this is really beautiful. This power that could kill me at any moment. You know? <laughs> I don't know if I thought that. That takes a certain <laughs> my, my reaction was more like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. I better get out of here now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Maybe you're saner than I am. <laughs> I think you're, that response says to me that as a kid that you're more curious about the world larger than you, which is really um, advanced in my book. <laughs> my nine-year-old self would be like, all right, I'm out of here. Peace. <laughs> um, somebody told me once, a psychic, some friend got me a, a session with a psychic who said, okay, here's what your soul has been through all your lifetimes. And the first word she said was curious. Mm. So, so there's a theme there. That helps me, yeah. So good. And sometimes it's funny. Sometimes um, I know for myself, I'm like, I don't know if I want to know certain things, you know, it's, it, you know, do I just get whatever knowledge I can from, you know, psychics or people who are connected with um, other, other spiritual planes, or do I want to just allow my um, path to unfold as it, as it, as it needs to, um, but sometimes moment like details like that are helpful in in framing whatever responses we have to our current present moment. You know, it's like I'm curious, so okay, I'll just keep on being that. <laughs> right, right, right. No, it helps. It helps me too, just being grateful of at a time like this. All of us are you reaching inside yourself and hoping you find the things that you're going to need to take care of yourself and the people you love and the places you love that you live. Um, and for me, I'm grateful for things like that, that I didn't like, I didn't earn that, you know, I didn't study to be curious. I just got handed that when I showed up. So that's nice. I'm grateful for that. Yeah. And it's good that you recognize that that's what that is, because had you not known that, you'd just be like, you know, why am I so frustrated? And, you know, I can't ever get the answers that I want. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm built this way. I could use a little of that gear you're describing of not wanting to know. Um, 
you yeah. know, because there's a balance among those things, I think. Um, so, yeah, I'm learning more about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a hard um, balance because <coughs> I know for um, one of my teachers, um, Ragana Capo, he, um, he, he talks about this, right? He's a cool yeah. guy. Yeah, he um, he tells this story of how he um, got a reading from um, from a, an astrologer in uh, in India, and they read his palm and they said something like, you know, you're going to get into a really bad car accident. And he's like, oh my god. He's like, no, no, no. We're, we're. And then so he and his friend decided like they were like they, first they wrote it off as like, yeah, whatever. We're not going to believe you. And he was, I think, in his twenties when this when this reading occurred. And then he's like, you know, I'm going to go to somebody else. So he then goes to another, like a palmistry reader or whatever. And that guy says the same thing. And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, right. He's like, what? Like, I'm going to be in a really bad car accident. I might die. Like, what is this? You know? And Raghunath tells the story way better than I am. But what was interesting was that it actually happened. Um, and it was a really crazy, um, incident at a show that he did. He was in a punk rock band and, um, they did a they did a, a show, and um, there were some guys who I don't remember the details of the story, but there were some guys who decided they were going to beat up the the band members for whatever reason, um, and that ended up being part of this this car accident scenario. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean he was pretty beat up. But I'm like thinking to myself, I don't know if I want that kind of information. You know, I would be living my life in fear the whole time. Like, is this the moment? Is this the moment? <laughs> Just get it over. And I feel like actually that's sort of the moment that we're in right now. Interesting. Where um, we've got this pandemic with a virus that we have some understanding about, but not, not as much where there's a big unknown factor. And so a lot of us are quarantined, you know, where we've got the mindset of, I don't want to get it, but I also don't want to transmit it. Um, and so there's this tension that I'm sensing in the air of that unknown of like, okay, part of me feels like, just give it to me already <laughs> so that I can right. say, all right, I had it and now I can relax and like get, o- get it over with. Right. Um, but I don't know if you have any of those kinds of feelings. Um with regard to, you know, what's happening out in the world. Yeah. I mean, because I lack the gear of not wanting to know, um, (laughs) (laughs) I've been doing some research, um, you know, different kinds of research. Um, I'm working on a project called the spook mollus. I forget if we already talked about this. No, we didn't. Um, it's called the spook mollus plan B like B as in after A and then B with an E after it as in could we please have human life on earth Um, and I kind of started it when I got back from Cuba in 2016 but it's really deepened this last year Um, and it started being about doing research about U.S. intelligence projects that connect to culture which is my world, which connect to literature and to then it started being about education as well. And now it's, um, it's kind of expanded some, but it's digital. It's on my website, which I've never done before. It's kind of 108, you know, a mala is a cycle of 108. I do three malas of breathing every morning. 
um, I need that protection to be able to do this research. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It's a wild world. Um, but it's a, a 108 digital portals to look at the different fractal angles of what it means that this has been kind of torquing our public life for this amount of time. So I hadn't done a whole lot of work about um, germs um, in the context of this, but I just, I was upset about the, the anti-Chinese racism that I was seeing and hearing from friends, you know, afraid to go out because people were being so stupid about it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't do a lot of research, but just the tiniest bit um, to find that Science Magazine, The I pulled them up so I wouldn't forget. Um, there's an article in Science Magazine where the um, there's a Georgetown scientist whose name is Daniel Lucy, who says that um, if the data that we have is right, that the first infections must have been last November, um, and that he says, I'm quoting him, the virus came into that marketplace before it came out of that marketplace. Mm-hmm. So this this whole weird, you know, racism-inflected thing about it being a Chinese virus and all that. I just I just wanted to do a little research about that. Um, and to me, it's not, again, this is because I'm made how I'm made, but to me, to know makes me less afraid instead of more afraid. Um, because even when I have been uncovering this really ugly stuff, I feel this relief of, oh, now it makes sense. Like, it's not just that humans are doomed and we're all venal and violent and terrible and it's that actual specific people organize themselves together in secret to do these things and then they could be undone you know they could go a different way Mm. Um, so to me it's helpful that that kind of knowledge there was an article in usa today in 2015 hardly a radical source of information (laughs) about the bioweapons labs that are all over the country. And they're basically asking, do you have one in your neighborhood? Um, they, there's a very famous one at Fort Detrick in Maryland, which they closed last spring because of safety violations. It rained and it flooded. And some of the viruses that they're genetically engineering inside these labs escaped. Um, so they shut them down. Um, so just things like that, it's not, um, to me, it doesn't make me paranoid. It makes me calmer mm. because I have such a vivid sense throughout all this that there's a, there are more humans alive now than there have ever been who are aware that power works this way and that if we're going to have a human future here, we have to connect to each other on different terms. Yeah. 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 And it's um, it's interesting because as you were talking, I was thinking about um, this idea of knowledge because knowledge is power. Right. And I'm not saying that the not knowing is willful ignorance. It's more, you know, I just don't want to know the future. (laughs) Right. You know, and so I think that, you know, your research is really um comforting, not just for you, but I think for other people who, who find out about it, who hear about it, as long as it is, um, rooted in, you know, facts, 
so to speak, versus, you know, hearsay. Um, right. Rooted in facts and also for me, rooted in love, you know? Mm, yeah. Like when I go into, I haven't ever spent a day in archives. I spent a lot of days in archives this last year. Every single one, there's some moment where I turn a page and I have to put my hand over my mouse or I'll audibly gasp at what I'm looking at. It's just incredible to me what's kind of hiding in plain sight about what's been done. Um, but I say before I get the boxes at the archive and I put them on the table and I just take a minute and put my feet on the ground and go like this and say, please let me do this with love. Mm. Um, because it's possible, I think, to have this sort of, you get sucked into the same structure that they've been sucked into in order to do these things by saying, like, I'm going to expose them and I'm going to win and they're going to lose. And, you know, that whole distortion. Yeah. As, as opposed to saying, like, oh, you know, we've lost our way, all of us, obviously. Because yeah. given the, I mean, even if that, even if the, epidemic came from what people call nature even if it had nothing to do with anything else the responses to it are such a powerful exposure of how we haven't figured out ways to live together that sustain our life here you know so everything I do I'm trying to keep to that because that's what's going to get us out of this yeah yeah, and I and I feel like that um, sometimes gets lost in all the information that's being shared. Um, it's not totally subsumed by the bad news, <laughs> but um, but it sometimes takes a little bit more digging to to find it. Although I I mean that story I told you about the meals, um, I'm seeing a lot more of those, which is really nice. Um, but as but that's those are the human stories that are coming forth, right? As far as you know, we're in crisis. How are you going to respond? You know, what is your character right now in this desperate time? Um, and we see everybody's true nature. <laughs> right? Yes. Everyone is showing their everything. Yeah. 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 It's like, hey, everyone, your underwear showing. <laughs> and that's not all. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because I, you know, when I teach my um, creative writing students, when we're working on character development um, and they're still getting to know their characters, I often say, put them in a desperate situation, put them in a do or die situation, and then you will find out who they are. And here we are in real life doing just that, Yeah, you know? And so with the practice that we, that you and I have um, with yoga and with meditation, um, it really like seeing everyone's true colors, um, I think really puts that practice to test. You know, and, you know, do I have the compassion and the love for somebody who's not like me, who might be showing true colors that I didn't know about that are not in alignment with who I am? And so what do you do with that? Yeah, I mean, that's huge. That's that's the question right right now. And it's especially sharp in Manhattan <clears throat> because of our our human density, which is what I adore about living here. Um, makes us so vulnerable. Like I went for a bike ride um, two days ago, I think, thinking it was cold and rainy and thinking, oh, I'll be alone in the park. And it was like a summer Sunday. <laughs> I mean, people were socially distanced, 
but there were there were thousands of us, of course, you know, because that's where you want to go and take refuge. Um, and I could feel on one hand how different it felt, um, just how odd the whole city feels now because of what's happening. And I think you can really I don't think it's just because of my son that you could feel like the levels of suffering deepening um, as they're going to continue to for another two months or so. Um, but, but also I could feel that other stuff kicking in of just like, this is regular. Like I, if somebody cut me off, you know, when I was riding, I was like, fuck you. And, you know, I mean, I didn't say it, but I was like, oh yeah, there it is again. You know, (laughs) right. That same sort of, I mean, for me, so familiar about how the world I was raised in about war and, offense and defense and I mean it's completely woven into every particle of me yeah. and the, these practices undo it um, yeah little by little in that way yeah and then it's a it's a matter of making adjustments to those undoings yeah yeah I guess I do feel like some extraordinary synthesis is trying to happen between those ways that we're talking about, which are ancient, um, and some new way of trying to live as human beings on this earth. Because as deep and and healing as those practices are, they're part of this world that's brought us here too, right? They, have, they haven't prevented it. Right. Um, so there's some aspect of... Um, like when I think of talking to friends who are native um, and saying, you guys should have just killed us, you know, like then none of this would have happened. And then somebody will say, yeah, but then we would have turned into you, you know, <laughs> right? So it feels like there's some there's something in common to me with what I know of indigenous cultures in these places and those practices about acceptance, Um mm. But that can't be the only tool we meet this emergency with. Right. I don't think, unless it's my ignorance that I can't see it, but I think there has to be some other thing that has to evolve among all of us to say, this stops here. Um, and I don't know how that, how that could happen or how that works. Well, I think it's happening now, um, you know, as as my I don't know if you're on social media a lot, but my newsfeed is starting to show people who are dying of this virus. Oh, thankfully, um, but just you know, friends of friends or family members of of people that I'm friends with on Facebook, um, and so the reality of that I think might be the thing that is forcing the hand of evolution. Um, I mean, that's as far as I can see, but it's just, it's, it's an unknown future that we have now, right? We can't plan for a summer vacation, (laughs) right? Like, what do you do in the summer? Oh, I don't know. I might be in quarantine still. (laughs) Right. Or even, I mean, it's odd to say it, but I might be dead. My friends might be dead. People in my family might be dead. Like just to, there's a way of our terror about that and our avoiding it contributes to this whole 
you know, ways of being divided from each other. Um, and it feels like the, I don't know, I, I volunteer with a group called New Sanctuary in the, in the city, which is this wonderful, it's called the New Sanctuary Coalition, the full name of it. And they do this one-time training for two hours or something. When I was there, it was in the Henry Street settlement, and there were maybe 200 of us in the room. And then you go and accompany people to their ICE appointments and their immigration hearings, mm. just so they have people with them. So if you're in the courtroom and they call the person's case, then all of us stand up to mm. say, like, yeah, 20 of us here do right, you know, so people know they're not isolated. Yeah. Um, and it's really some of the most beautiful hours of my life. I mean, you're so furious at the, how this whole process is unfolding, but there's something about um, that instant connection to the people that you're there for that just made me feel like I'm, I speak Spanish, so I'm useful in that way because so many of the people that they're trying to deport are Spanish speakers. But I see it happen even with like the most socially odd, not Spanish speaking people you could possibly think of who come. And there's still that instant connection like, I got your back, you know? Um, yeah. And the, the first time I did it, I just thought, oh, this is what the whole apparatus I've been studying is trying to crush out. This is just as common as water that when you get together and you see what's happening and you're like, I got you, I don't even know you, but I got you. Yeah. It, it feels so fabulous and it's so simple and free and easy. Mm -hmm. And why, why I thought of it when we we're talking about death is that it feels like it happens with people who are aware of the, the breadth of the danger, mm. you know, yeah. you yeah. can't like a lot of people don't have the luxury to pretend that death is not an option. You know, um, so when you're in that context, there's there's beauty that can come from that knowledge. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's funny because what I'm seeing is this this divide in understanding just how serious our situation is, mm. where you see reports of like spring breakers hanging out on Miami Beach, you know, and I'm just like. You know, you hear about, you know, 20 somethings getting together for a party because they think that they're immune to it because the knowledge that's, that first came out was that it was, you know, for those who are immunocompromised and anyone over 60. So they're like, hey, I'm invincible. Um, I can go out and not thinking not even about themselves, but thinking that they could be carriers and spread um, and spread the virus. And so that we have that camp, but then we have the other camp of, you know, we're freaking out. We're quarantining ourselves. People I know are dying. I mean, I had um, in my town in Jersey, we just had the second death um, mm -hmm. from COVID-19 um, yesterday. And wow. it's um, a father who was immunocompromised, but he worked with my sister-in-law. Not directly. They just work for the same company, different offices. But um, it's just crazy to think, like, he, his family lived, you know, maybe a mile from my house. Right. Um, and so it's, it's, I don't, I'm waiting to see when those who are in that privileged area of I'm untouchable will come to realize that um, not 
Yeah. I mean, it's been so, what I was most fearful about when the news first came out was about being a carrier into the prison where I teach the poetry class. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just thought, when I saw that spring break video, I thought, you know, what is it like not to know you're a carrier of harm? Mm. Uh, and I think for me, as a white person living in this country, I mean, that's everything to, to just be thinking about that all the time. And especially as a white person with ancestors that go back to the colonial beginnings, um, to have been literally, I mean, I'm a descendant of people who killed other people with their germs. Mm. No, no question. Here, right in this land where I'm sitting right now in Manhattan. Um, and so much of how we got to the place we are is about that whole colonial project not recognizing that. Either deliberately, this small group of people who are aware of it and deliberately using it as a weapon, but if it were only them, it couldn't happen. It couldn't sustain itself. There right. have to be all, the, all these other people saying, you know, what harm? I'm having a good time, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Who gives a shit about Honduras? You know, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, yeah. And you don't. And when something like this happens, you see the connections that that your lives are inseparable. Yeah, yeah. And and just turning that back to like this meditative practice that that we have. I mean, it's always like when people teach meditation, it's it's this. I mean, not to like make light of it, but this whole kumbaya, like we're all one, you know, like peace, brother, whatever. And um, and this and this virus is really highlighting that in a very real, literal way, where the ripple effects are being made manifest visually, like we can see it now. Um, you know, I was I was thinking about it's a wonderful life and and how we don't know what affect our lives have on other people until we're removed from it and so um so now it's just here is how you affect other people's lives in a very real physical way um and what are you going to do about that yeah that's beautiful that's so vivid (sighs) i don't know (laughs) i just try to meditate i know i think so I think it's so good, though, what you say about the, you know, the kumbaya aspect, which I think a lot of people who don't practice are turned off by, you know, and then the realness underneath it. I mean, I remember I'll be grateful for the rest of my life to Mr. Goenka, who was on the video that taught me how to meditate in those 10 days in Massachusetts. But at the same time, and I... At the end, there's a video, um, and you see his wife, who never speaks. Um, And at different points, he talked about how difficult people say, oh, it's difficult to find time to meditate. And he said something about, oh, you know, when he was having X for dinner. And then I just saw this woman who, I'm sure, you know, made every meal he ever ate. Um, (laughs) so he's going on about all these principles and the material conditions of the lives of the people around him weren't really a thing you know (laughs) um so to me it's so important to think about 
both, like not to feel like, oh, it's bullshit because that's true, you know, but also not to not see that. And that, again, I do think some other morphing is happening where Margaret Walker, great U.S. poet, talked about a world that will hold all the people. Like, to me, that's everything. That's real democracy, like, to actually have that. And we have all these little pieces of it scattered all over, the things we're going to need to actually make that. Um, But the synthesis of it that's just for us at this emergency time hasn't been made yet. So we're all, you know, when I'm talking to my son, when I'm walking on the street, when I'm doing everything, I'm thinking okay, every single person here has a little piece of that, whatever it's going to take for us to get through this, you know? Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, but I'm also sort of hovering and waiting for that synthesis because I sense that too, you know? know. And uh, and, and in my mind, puzzle pieces like scattered on on a table and I'm just, and they're all magnetic and I'm just waiting for like the magnet to come in and bring all the pieces together. But, you know, we'll see what happens. (laughs) I love, you know, I lived in Cuba for a while, and I loved um, the word in Spanish, rompecabezas. Um, Because to me, waiting for that that synthesis to happen is a constant hunger, you know. Mm. Um, And it's not even really waiting. It's, you know, participating and working. But... um, but when you describe it like a puzzle, like that's the ordinary word for puzzle, you know, or mystery. Um, and it literally means break break heads. Um, so to me, that feeling of like, my head is breaking, we have to figure this out right now. Um, yeah, that's pretty much every day. <laughs> <laughs> but I love what you said about um, participating in it, you know, not just sitting around and waiting. You know, some people who are listening might be thinking, you know, oh, so you just go sit in your meditation room on your little cushion and like meditate world peace into being, you know, it's not, it's not about that. You know, it's about both, like you said earlier about, about grounding yourself and getting clear, um, but also participating in whatever is synthesizing, you know, not to just sit back and watch everything unfold, because I, I know that's a lot of language that's going around in, in spiritual communities, is right. like, just let it all unfold and trust that it's going to happen. And yes, that and do your part. You know, it's not yeah. it's not a free pass to just sit back and let everyone else do the work. <laughs> right. You know. No, that's so important. Um, and I think it's, I mean, when I was a kid, the word balance was anathema to me. Um, I just could barely hear people say it. And the idea of detachment was inconceivable. Mm. Um, I was, I came from a lot of violence. I was an activist. I was like, the world is burning, you guys. Hello. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't want to balance. I don't want to detach. Um, but then as I got older and life sort of crushed me into submission, um, <laughs> which is the state I had to be in to crawl my ass into yoga, um, then I could see like you have to have that too or you can't last in this. You can't be clear and you can't participate fully if you're constantly in that other mode. So I do think they're important tools, um, those things, but 
like that basic sense, like if people are thinking, okay, well, I have to meditate and, you know, then everything will change. There's a part of that that's like the um, click here and save the world. Right. The internet, right? But part of it, um, if what it does is, I'm thinking so much lately about lies, um, Mm -hmm. about public lies and what it takes to undo them in that way and what it does to us to be lied to all the time. Um, and the, I, I feel like there's a basic human sense about when someone's lying to you that a lot of us have drowned um, for various reasons. And it makes a kind of physical sleep too. Um, so even if what you do is just to sort of stop enough and wake up enough so you can tell when someone's lying, um, then that would shift things in terms of the choices that you make in that way. That thing of, you know, as as we knew 2020 would be, even without the epidemic, that whole election year business, um, it's so easy to kind of follow that paved pathway of, well, who do you like who's going to save us? Um, <laughs> Right? As opposed to, wow, it's been like this a really long time, um, and it's going to keep being like this unless we change the structure of it. So the idea of sorting through these personalities to decide which one you like, um, as opposed to who's lying to me, um, or what has this person done over the course of their lives, um, and what am I doing as a participant um, and not as a spectator, to yeah. me, the practices return me to that in a great way. And I think that last question is is the most important one: is what am I doing as a participant? Because a lot of a lot of us find it easier just to be like, oh, I'll just look the other way, or it's not so bad, or it's okay that someone's lying to me because I'm not dying. Well, I mean, hello, have you looked outside your window? <laughs> you know. Um, so I think that. For those that don't practice meditation, it's useful in um, helping us stay engaged with ourselves and figuring out, okay, how can I hold myself accountable for participating in the world? Yeah. That's, I, that's, well, that's only if people want to meditate. <laughs> I know, right? I so did not want to meditate, but my internist, um, I started working at the prison, and my beloved internist, Irina, said... Um, have you seen the movie um, Doing Time, Doing Vipassana? And it was about bringing Vipassana into prisons. Mm. Uh, And I didn't watch it before I went. I watched it after. Um, And did did you know Kai's Stevens when you were there, Lawrence, right? So, you know, Kai's runs this gorgeous prison education program in Alabama. Mm -hmm. And when I got this job, I went down and did a gig there because I'd never been in a prison before. So mm. she's come and do my training and do a couple of days there. So I did, which was extraordinary. Um, <clears throat> and when I watched the movie, um, a man I met in the class I did in the Alabama prison was in the movie um, wow. doing Vipassana, <laughs> which on one hand was heartbreaking because there was so much time between my visit and that movie. Um, 
But on the other hand, it was really beautiful to see that kind of devotion that he bought, brought to the, prison, to the poetry work that we did together. Yeah. And then I connected it to the practice, you know, mm-hmm. that he had gone through that process that way. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, it was amazing. Did you see the movie before you went to your own Vipassana practice? No, I watched it after when oh. I came back. <laughs> Good, the element of surprise. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't want to know, which in retrospect was good, um, because I don't know if I would have been able to do it. Um, yeah, it, it's so, I, I mean, I want to say brutal, which is not something that people associate with meditation. But that's why it was great to see the movie, because every one of the guys in prison was like, this is harder than prison, you know. Yeah. This is just so brutal. And a lot of them come from like violence and things in in ways that were familiar to me um and for us i think it's not an easy pathway to those processes that way especially the still ones to be able to just sit um and the retreat like that was the longest i haven't read ever since i was four years old um like i didn't care about the the food part or the you know, none of that bothered me, not having food after lunch, all of that, but not reading for 10 days. It's just, I can feel that little shiver again, just thinking about it. <laughs> you mean I got to be with myself? What? Exactly. I realized, wow, I found the, the most beautiful ways to dissociate that are available on earth um, through music, through poetry, through reading, through writing. But it's still just not just being, not just hanging out in reality. And the Vipassana practice, it's not like sit down and commune with the infinite. It's like, okay, what's up with the top of your head? Okay, what's up with here? What's up with here? I just did it two hours ago, so I remember it. So So it's like, you are here right now. Yeah, Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, then um, you mentioned, you know, poetry and reading and stuff. And so how can, I don't know if you've, if you've gotten to this point, but how can poetry be a way of going into a meditative experience or like a portal into this other existence? That's another great question. Um, I have this, I mean, first I want to say what they're always saying in Cuba, que se yo, like, what do I know? Because <laughs> I still feel so new to this, and I'll scratch a tiny surface of it before I'm done on earth. But um, when I first started practicing yoga, there was um, a diagram I saw somewhere with yoga and art, like pic- picture a compass, right? So art is north and yoga is south and the manifest is east and the unmanifest is the west um Mm. and and there was just a cycle like arrows going around and around and around so um where art will make something manifest that isn't right and then it's it segues into yoga which is that physical embodiment of the unmanifest so it's both at the same time and then it goes into the unmanifest really which for me meditation is the closest like it's not bodiless but it's not formed in that way 
and then you make art from that and then that big circle goes around you know beautiful um so I still feel like I don't really understand it um because like art was illusion in the Vipassana context like art was nothing even though I was so grateful he sang to us in Pali he sang basically Pali poetry which Mm -hmm. is someone said to me once that Pali is to Sanskrit like Italian is to Latin okay so Pali was like the vernacular like the words of the Buddha um Mm -hmm. So he was singing to us these verses in Pali for hours, um, which was the only music I had the whole time. And I so craved it when I left. Um, More than food, you know, (laughs) music and my eyes reading something. Um, But but art in that context is, I I don't know if I would say false, but it's it's not the real. it's not a part of that practice. Mm. So to me, as an artist, it's a beautiful balance um, between those things. And just to participate in that, saying, okay, I'm giving myself completely to this, but I'm balancing it with everything else I know. It's like what you're having to do as a citizen or a lover or anything else to say, like, I'm totally in this, I'm totally with you, and everything else at the same time and balancing all of it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I appreciate what you said as far as just everything coming into, into play, because a lot of people are in this mindset of binaries, you know, it can't be both. It's black or white, you know, yes or no. Um, it can't, for whatever reason, it can't be both. And so, um, I appreciate you saying, well, you know, there is this creating that we're doing with art. And even though in some traditions it's seen as illusion, it's still us participating in this world because we are living in a physical human body. Um, but then also answering this call as spirit to help each other. Um, Yeah. So there's that balance again. I mean, it's so funny, that word. <laughs> Everyone's like, I can't find balance. But it really is just about the and more than anything else. Um, one isn't exclusive of the other. Yeah. Other things. That's a great connection between those two. I mean, to me, it's so helpful to have almost daily um, acquaintance with the physical challenges of balancing. Like while I'm, you know, cooking eggs at the stove, I'm doing tree pose, um, right? Or, um, and just in my practice, like Ardha Chandrasana to try to like, and to me, it feels like there are these gorgeous currents of gravity between the center of everything and whatever. And I'm never quite in alignment with them, you know? Yeah. I'm always a little off, whether because of ego or some kind of like distortion just physically how I'm made and it's this daily thing to say okay how can I get next to you that that sense of connection that way and how beautiful it is when you're there but how precarious and fleeting like even I practice with gods you know people just incredibly physically gifted and even for them it's like it's a precarity you're there for a moment and you learn what that's like and then you fall out. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the lesson that a lot of people who practice the asana yoga, the physical practice, they, they, they don't see that as the lesson, you know, it's this, it's this reaching for achievement or, you know, physical goal and, and sort of missing. And part of that is just our culture and depending on who's teaching the class, but missing that opportunity that invitation to understand that everything is temporary, that things are always changing. And, you know, you can do, you know, pigeon on the right side today, but then tomorrow you'll be like, I can't even get down on the floor. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah, it's true. And that none of it, like I remember Nikki saying once, we're, we're a mountain pose, which is theoretically easy, right? You're just standing there. Right. And she said, try not to wait. <laughs> and I was like, I was so waiting. She said, try not to wait. And then she paused and said, what are you waiting for? Which <laughs> <You know? laughs> is like, yeah, I've kind of spent my whole life in that state as opposed to actually, I mean, for good reasons. They saved my life at the time. Dissociation saved my life. No question. But then later, if you live, to be able to say, actually, how about you stop waiting? How about you just be here now? Yeah, yeah. And and I think a lot of people who, in my classes anyway, you know, when they're mountain pose, they're like, all right, I caught my breath. I'm ready for the next. (laughs) Whatever you're going to run us through, right? Right. And I just hang out. And then you see people starting to twitch. And (laughs) and I love it. I'm like, (laughs) ma. <laughs> but I think I think I think in those moments I need to say a little something like you know like what your teacher said you know like just be present now and notice the discomfort in being still and just standing here and there's no agenda you know and be okay with the fact that there's no agenda right right it's so hard um, but anyway, Suzanne, I thank you so much for you sharing your time with me. Um, yeah about all these things it was so good um and i wanted to invite you to read a poem if you've got one to close the episode because it's always so nice to bookend the show with a poem on either side um i'm reading a poem by nazim hikmet in, in the name of bridging the gap between people who take care of other people without anything they would call a spiritual life, and people who do. Um, He was a Turkish poet imprisoned for many years for being a communist. Um, And this is a poem that I included in the anthology that I gave to the prison class, that I give to them every time. Um, And the poem, it's a translation, obviously. um, I'm not reading it in Turkish, unfortunately. And it's called That's How It Goes. I'm in the middle of a spreading light, my hands inspired, the world beautiful. Cannot stop looking at trees, they're so hopeful and so green. A sunny pathway stretches beyond the mulberries. I stand before the window in the prison hospital, cannot smell the smell of medicine. Somewhere carnations must be in bloom. That's how it goes, my friend. The problem is not falling a captive. It's how to avoid surrender. Mm. Oh, beautiful. And so apropos. 
Well, Suzanne, thank you again so much for coming. And um, we'll talk again soon. Uh, So to close our episode as we do every episode, the divine light in me bows to the divine light in you. Until next time, namaste. Namaste. If you're an empath, you already know how hard it is to stay energized or even to just get out of bed, especially during this global crisis. Unfortunately, most of us try to power through or give up and hide under the covers. But without understanding that our nervous system is the key to resilience, we remain frustrated by our wasted efforts and stay stuck in overwhelm and exhaustion. That's why I created Strong and Resilient Empaths, It's a mini class and training that provides you with tools to strengthen your nervous system and is usually priced at $97, but I'm offering it absolutely free. Register today at surayagian.com, Strong and Resilient Empaths. Your best life starts now.